just like the the point guard says hey this guy's got a hot hand and he's wide open i'm going to throw him the ball the good cfo says hey i need to give marketing this information about the impact of their advertising program so they can decide how to allocate their funds across different channels more effectively you're listening to the finance fireside chat podcast brought to you by futureview i'm your host john bali ceo and co-founder of futureview systems a finance solutions provider that was created by finance folks for finance folks. Join us as we discuss the topics, trends, and best practices near and dear to finance and accounting professionals. I think first of all, we have to look at the overall structure of the finance function. A lot of people outside of finance tend to to lump finance into one big bucket. Oh, this is all one thing. Actually, there's some very well-defined segments of of a finance function. And and the way I think about it is is sort of to think about accounting versus the FP&A piece. And if you put that on a a spectrum or a timeline, imagine you've got a timeline from the past to the present. And and at point zero is the the very beginning of the present. Well, what is point zero in my mind? Well, point zero means this is where all the debits equal the credits. This is where a company has a trial balance that reflects all of the financial activity that has occurred up to that point. That is accounting in in my mind. That's accounting's job is to get you to point zero. I often think of accounting as the controller functions, but it's, it's the accounts payable, accounts receivable, all those things that you need to record information and, and get it in a, in a, in a way that, you know, that, that's ready to be used. FP and a, on the other hand, is everything you do with that information from point zero. You put it into meaningful reports with comparisons to budgets and forecasts. You analyze variances between budgets and forecasts and actual results. You prepare predictive analysis, uh, maybe you do cohort level data, you forecast, you do an annual budget, you use this information for strategic planning, you create advanced metrics, lifetime value, churn ratios, customer acquisition cost, all these things FP&A does using the data from accounting. And and so if you think of that, obviously in the the scope of things, FP&A is providing more direct value to management because they have all of this information. I remember when I was a, a CFO for a public company and we were, we were in the process of, of closing our books to get ready for filing our S1 with, a, with the period in there. And obviously, we needed, to, we needed to close that quarter. And I knew exactly what we needed in terms of earnings per share. And I knew what I wanted to see. And I knew what I expected to see. But we hadn't closed the books. And I remember I'm pacing back and forth into my controller's office. And I'm, I'm kind of like, hey, have we closed? Have we closed? And she's like, leave me alone until I until we get a chance <laughs> I'm working on it so finally I just walk away and I, I I give her some space and I and I come by her office and she goes John come on in she goes we're closed and I said oh tell me how do we do and it's funny because she was all excited we, we've closed I said how do we do and I'm thinking you know tell me how do we compare to what we forecast and she she kind of pauses and she says you know I don't really know. And, and I, th- I realized at that moment that for her, close meant all the, the process of closing is complete. I'm at point zero. The debits equal the credits. I have a trial balance. 
but I have absolutely no context for it. She doesn't know. She doesn't know what it means. She doesn't know how it compares to anything. She doesn't know what we expected. All she knows is that the process is complete. And that's, that's great, but that didn't tell me what I needed to know. So then I had to turn that information over to my head of FPNA who plugged it into our models to see what that, how that compared and to, to the guidance we provided mm -hmm. and, and put all that together. So that's the FPNA piece. So that's why I say FPNA provides more direct value to me as, as a manager and, and, and overall accounting gets you to a certain point. You could think of accounting as sort of getting to point zero accounting gets you there. And it's, it's sort of like all the processes that bring the electricity to the wall outlet on your, to the, the outlet on your wall. Okay. The electricity is now there and ready to be used, but quite honestly, if you don't have anything to plug in, then it's not particularly meaningful. What you plug in, that's your FPNA function. I'm going to use an example here because I think this is how I think about the CFO role. And I'll use the, I'll, I'll use the example of, of a point guard in basketball. So the point guard in basketball is generally the, the individual who handles the ball most of the time, who brings dribbles the ball down the court, who thinks about how to start the play, who's going to get the ball next, who are they going to pass the ball to, those, those kind of things. And, and I think the CFO is somewhat similar to that. They initiate the process of, of, of discussion about business. They bring the ball down the court. They're, they're in charge of all the, the transaction processing and everything that's involved in the business. And then they figure out where do they need to put that ball? Where do they need to put that information to have it be impactful and make a, and make a difference? So they, they, and, and just like the, the point guard says, hey, this guy's got a hot hand and he's wide open. I'm going to throw him the ball. The good CFO says, hey, I need to give marketing this information about the impact of their advertising program so they can decide how to allocate their funds across different channels more effectively. The other thing that a point guard does, though, is sometimes a point guard has to take a shot himself. And I think a good CFO also is able to do that. And by that, I mean, a, a CFO is sitting at the management table with a finance perspective but also the ability to take the, the finance hat off and look at things from a business standpoint overall. Well, they might say, for example, that may affect our net income negatively. However, it's the right move for the business. Maybe we should spend this money now, even if it will impact our ability to achieve our budget because the benefits are so great going forward. We, what we saw that a lot with uh, during COVID-19. CFOs had to make a lot of decisions that, that kind of go against everything they had been trained to do because from a business standpoint, they were the right decisions, even though they were not necessarily the traditionally uh, appropriate decisions. So, so I think from a, a successful CFO handles information, decides who needs information, understands information and, and the, and the cross-functional needs for information. And, and ultimately I think is in a really great spot because if you think of the one function that transcends any other function, it's finance. If he's the CFO, he or she is speaking with, with every function, understanding their issues and translating it back into those things that become a common scoreboard for the business. We talked a lot about, about FP&A, about accounting, about the different roles of finance. 
And, and I want to just take a moment to think about how I would organize a finance function in, in the context of, of that. And, and the first thing you need to realize is, and I think it's been clear here, the types of people you generally have in the accounting functions are, are really have often have very different ambitions and interests and motivations than the types of, of individuals you might find in an, in an FP&A function. And, 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 and it's one of the things that makes being a CFO really interesting is that you're dealing with people with a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different needs. And, but I'll, I'll give you an example. If you, if you meet your typical accounts payable clerk, think of what, what is involved in their job. Every, every day they come in, invoices come to their, into their queue. They look at them, they process them, they make sure that they should be paid and get the appropriate approvals and they pay them. And it's pretty much an ongoing job. It doesn't change dramatically from time to time. Hopefully it gets more productive over time. Some, some people would like it and some people wouldn't like it. It's a job where you're probably busy all the time. It's also, my, in my experience, accounts payable uh, clerks would tend to be focused on, you know, uh, more balancing work-life things and, and not necessarily looking for ambiguity and ambition and additional opportunity. Not always. There's, there's always exceptions to everything, but that's just a general feeling. The typical FP&A person, on the other hand, is it tends to be driven by curiosity. And, and you find that a lot of FP&A people are fairly ambitious. That's why, you, you know, a lot of big companies will, will get someone out of an MBA program to come in and at an entry level FP&A role because they want people who can take information and continue to grow who can keep moving up that hierarchy into greater and greater uh, analytical interest. And so when you think about that, you think about those different kinds of people, it kind of stands to reason that you want your controller functions to be as automated as possible and, and almost assembly line in nature. You want to do them with maximum amount of efficiency, almost a high, when I hear Six Sigma, Six Sigma, which doesn't really apply to most companies, but that, that level of quality control is really important in accounting. You can't allow for much er many errors in the controller functions. And that's why you have so many controls like debits equal credits and that kind of thing. Um, and so you need staff and tools that are process oriented and, and, and are comfortable manning that assembly line of getting you to point zero each and every day. FP&A, you know, I, I would think in a way it's, it's sort of like a, an orchestra in classical with classical music. Their goal is not to, to write new songs. Their goal is to faithfully interpret the composition, however Bach or Beethoven uh, or Chopin wrote it. Their job is to, to faithfully interpret that, not to change it. FP&A, on the other hand, it's more freeform. It's kind of like jazz. It's, it's, you, you want musicians who can connect a wider variety of dots, who are very comfortable going outside the normal range of things and, and looking at information differently. And, and so you need a different kind of person in, the, in, the, in that sort of role. Um, also, interestingly, FP&A now increasingly is getting blurred with business intelligence. And, and that means that you've got to have a, a deep understanding of, of data warehousing and, and collecting data and that kind of thing. So that has some real implications. If you think about organizing your finance function, you're going to attract people in FP&A who tend to be curious, who tend to want to solve new problems, and will tend to be 
more ambitious for movement, both within the organization and for their career in general, wherever it is. Uh, whereas in accounting, you'll tend to find people who are looking more again for a lifestyle business. That means you're going to have higher attrition in the FP&A function than in an accounting function, um, most likely, because you've got people who are looking to move up the ladder in their in their career. Um, in my experience, the FP&A functions tend to be a little bit younger and tend to have people who are, you know, using this as more of a stepping stone. What one of the implications of that is that it makes it all the more important that you have real structure and system uh, and, and systems within your FP&A function, meaning because you're going to lose people. You're going to have great, good people are going to move on. Either they're going to move on in your company to, to bigger roles or they're going to move on in other companies. So if, if all your analytical knowledge is sitting in, in the heads of, the FP, in the, of that FP&A person and in a whole batch of uh, 8,000 spreadsheets that only they understand, when they leave at some point, and they will, then you're going to be left in, in, a, in a dire situation. So you need a system and a structure for your forecasting, for your reporting, for your calculation of metrics, for your definition of that overall analytical framework. And, and, and that's a really, I think that's really important. Too many companies are highly reliant on one FP&A individual or two FP&A individuals. And, and all of a sudden that person leaves and it's, it's, it's catastrophic to the, to the overall management information system. A good company has an impactful finance function, a function that truly influences and plays in the business. If, you, if your company thinks of finance as, as, a, as a back office function, sort of a la Dilbert and full of accounting trolls who linger in the basement and, and who live to create bureaucracy in the business, you've really got a, an, an imperception or a misperception of, of finance and you're missing an opportunity to have a function that can have a tremendous positive impact on your performance. Finance is effectively the rhythm section of a, of a company. It creates the the company cadence that, that every company needs. So when you think about things like the monthly financial close and maybe the weekly sales report and the annual budgeting process and the possibly the annual strategic planning process, they're a frame within which the company has a conversation and, and makes decisions and choices. And, and that conversation is worth thinking about. What do I mean when I say the company conversation? If you think about it, most companies are now, I mean, most of the people in finance, we don't put bolts in sheet metal and we don't work on an assembly line. Most companies, it, it's about using information to, to make better decisions and, and, and moving that information around in increasingly creative ways. The key to that is to have a high quality conversation. The companies that have high quality conversations, almost by definition, are going to perform better. So... What you need is you need to know that when you have a, a discussion about your choices, that someone is taking those strategic choices and incorporating dollars and cents implications, uh, and that's finance. And that's both short-term and long-term. It's not that finance should be, too many, too many CEOs think finance's sole job is to control spending. Well, yes, it's to control spending, but not necessarily to minimize spending. It's, it's meant to spend each dollar wisely and help a company think about how to spend each dollar wisely. Let me, let me kind of give you an example of how finance impacts the entire conversation of a company. 
and consider uh, an NBA game. I'm an NBA fan, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll use that. You get to a point in the game where there's a critical play. And what you always notice first is they call timeout and three or four of the coaches, the head coach and his assistants, they all walk out on the floor with a clipboard and they all discuss what they're going to do before they tell the players what play they're going to run. They discuss what's, what's the right strategy. So they're trying to make a choice. And you could say, well, what's involved in that decision? What's going on there? Well, you see the coaches and they're looking at a clipboard, but what, what, you, what you're not necessarily noticing, but which is absolutely a key part of that discussion, is the entire analytical framework that supports it. And what do I mean by that? Well, there's a scoreboard. So obviously these coaches are not having that discussion in a vacuum. They know what the current score is. They know how many timeouts they have left. They know all those different situations. They know how much time is left. They also have a very clear understanding of, of the metrics that are up on that scoreboard. You know, they understand if, if a player has four fouls that he has six allowed for the whole game, or they understand, you know, the different things that, that, that those, those scores are telling them. Those metrics are very clear to them. They also have a huge amount of information about the other team that that's already part of their, their decision process. For example, they know that, you know, the team tends to run this type of defense in a certain situation and they tend to, you know, they know their tendencies. All these things are, are a part of this conversation, but they're, they're behind the scenes. And, and finally, there's the whole structure of the game, the rules of the game. Well, if I shoot behind this line, it's three points. If I shoot in front of this line, it's two points. If I get fouled, I'll get, I'll go to the foul line or I won't go to the foul line. These rules of the game are part of, if you, you can make an analogy to accounting. If finance creates the rules, they provide this whole sense of, of background and metrics and trends. They've defined the metrics and the score. And because all these things are there, it looks like those four coaches are just going out and having a, cat, a, a quick conversation. But in fact, it's embedded with tons of background information. And that's the way finance operates in a company. When your management team gets together to have a discussion, they're not just having a discussion at that point in time. They're having a discussion that's layered on top of, on top of this entire framework that's created by the finance department. So finance is really responsible for providing that framework in a company. As, a, as a, a CEO or a CFO or a management team, 90% of the value you're getting is, is from the FP&A function. But I say this with a really important caveat, FP&A is, is more value added as long as the accounting works. If electricity is flowing through your house, I don't even notice it. But the minute electricity goes off, it's all I notice. What I notice are the things I can plug in. And if they don't, but if they don't, if, if the electricity is not flowing through the walls, then it doesn't matter what I plug in. I'm not getting that value. So, so it's accounting is absolutely critical to run that for that process of getting you to point zero. If it doesn't work, you won't get beyond point zero, but, but that's how the two function together. Well, we just talked about the fact that you, you know, that's where you're getting all your management value, your information value. You're getting it from the FP&A function, from the reporting and the forward-looking uh, analysis. I think uh, I read in a recent survey uh, from Deloitte that 63% of CFOs said FP&A is the core finance function they would like to improve the most. 
And, and I totally get that. That is, that is where you're getting the value. So you, you definitely want to improve that. And, and in that same survey, 46% said data analytics and forecasting was the one skill set they'd like to bolster on their finance team. And this goes hand in hand with the FP&A piece, right? Because FP&A is very different today than it was. Um, it's, it's no longer just a, a rudimentary variance analysis. This was the budget, this was the actual, and here was the difference and what percentage difference was it. That's, that's not very meaningful. The job of FP&A now is to provide real insight into the accounting information, to incorporate other information from other systems like CRM, HR, um, outside data, share data in some companies, churn data, all kinds of different information, and to incorporate that into a real analysis of the business. I think the other thing to think about with FP&A is it, you can kind of think of like a, a Maslow's hierarchy of needs. A you know, a very basic company has bookkeeping. And, and as a company grows even a little bit, they start to need more and more. They need more advanced bookkeeping. They need bookkeeping in accordance with GAAP. They, as they mature, they need, they need a lot more information, you know, specific reports for, for banks and things like that. And then they realize they need a whole dashboard of metrics for their business. So they, they, the, the more you have in, in information, the, the more you climb that need and, and need additional information to provide insight and drive things. If I had to kind of step back and say what the most important thing with FP&A is they, they take all these analytics and, and information, they put it together for a sole purpose, to help a company make and frame choices. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll use an example. When I say frame choices, uh, my wife will always tell me, you can have that Oreo. It's a choice you're going to make, but you're making another choice at the same time. You've, you're, you're basically, you've decided to at least temporarily abandon whatever diet you might be on at the current moment. You're making a choice. And, 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 and that's what finance does with all these metrics. And that's what FP&A does. FP&A frames choices so that management knows that when they, when they make this explicit choice, that there's a, there are a number of implicit choices that they are making at the same time. Making those implicit choices explicit is a key part of the FP&A mission. I have a couple of rules for metrics. First of all, metrics for a business need to be clearly defined. They need to be defined uh, in a way that is absolutely without ambiguity. Uh, if, if they're not, I guarantee you, someone will, as, the minute the metric matters to somebody, they will figure out a way to rewrite it and redefine it. Um, another thing is metrics should be calculated regularly and, 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 and ideally they're generated automatically from source data. The reason I say that is because if, if it's a, an, you know, an act of God every month to, to put together certain metrics, I guarantee you they'll, they'll eventually drift away and not be utilized in, in the business. Metrics should also be interpreted in context, not necessarily taken as absolutes. This is a, this is a key point, and it's part of what I, I always say, don't confuse accounting and analysis. Um, if, if, for example, I have, if I told you that my annualized employee attrition was 30%, you might think, wow, that seems really high, 30% attrition. But if I told you the business was the restaurant business, that's actually pretty good for a restaurant business. If I told you it was for a, uh, you know, a different kind of business, that would be really high. You have to look at metrics 
within a context and not, not think there's some magic to the number itself. Metrics are generally better interpreted in the context of trends, not for a single period. It, it's, it's not really useful for me to know that the temperature is 99 today, as much as it's useful for me to know how does that compare to every other day in the month and every other day in the year. I, I can't really make a, an assessment of a metric just by looking at um, any one thing. Great example in a, in a, a book uh, I read called uh, Factfulness, where they, they, they compared the tons of carbon that were in the air in different countries, in, in uh, India and, and China and the United States. And the Indian uh, UN representative stood up and said, I never want to hear that number quoted without it being compared with the population of my country, because I have 1.4 billion people and I'm, you're comparing an absolute number to a country that only has 330 million people. It, it doesn't make sense. And he was right. You shouldn't look at numbers without the context of other numbers. Um, so, but I, but I think that one key point I want to reiterate there is you, you need to start with a realization that there is no individual metric that tells the whole story. That's why we call it an analytical framework. It's a framework of metrics that together define your business. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the Finance Fireside Chat brought to you by FutureView Systems. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please be sure to follow us and don't forget to leave a review. Fours and fives are much appreciated. FutureView Systems is a finance solutions tools and service provider created by finance people for finance professionals. If you're looking to transform your finance function rapidly with scalable reporting, budgeting, and forecasting processes that enable you to drive strategic decisions, we can help. Visit us at futureviewsystems.com to learn more.